This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time hosting Core Brain Journal. And tonight we have a very topical subject right here. Yes, it's the new year, but we're just finished a enormously fun Christmas holiday season for people really all over the world. There's a people take a break right around now. And what we're going to do is talk to you about, we have a guest, one Michael Leppo, who's going to talk to us about a variety of things. It's going to look like food on the front end. It's going to look like taking care of yourself on a larger perspective, but it's actually more than that. So stay tuned because Michael is going to tell us a lot about how to handle ourselves constructively for the rest of our lives. Michael, thank you so much for coming on board. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So what I'm going to do is introduce Michael and in just a minute, but we're going to first of all have a couple words from our sponsors. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory with over 3 million studies. They're deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measurement. Measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. If you think that's weird, then get your very interested provider to come over and take a look at this interesting laboratory. They provide a global service with a molecular focus. Hook up your provider with the, these in evolved testing measures with references and provider details at, get this, dhalab.com forward slash core. It'll tell you all about it. Listen to meaningful insights on all these tests at Core Brain Journal forward slash 115. A lot of material there on the usefulness of those tests. So more, te- more details coming up in a moment on that one. Core Brain Journal is also brought to you by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, who for 50 years have provided more complete options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure, both nationally and internationally, with advanced biomedical testing for treatment failure. They just don't come in and throw meds at you. If you have a child adolescent who is a treatment failure outpatient, inpatient, then they provide a very interesting, evolved family, interpersonal, and indeed global level. They're TRICARE friendly. And for more information over there, go to barryrobinson.org forward slash core. That's B-A-R-R-Y robinson.org forward slash core. More in a moment from those folks. So let me tell you a little bit about Michael. He's not a doctor, but he's someone who studied how food, notably processed, GMO, sugar-laden, and high-carb foods, if you ever heard of anything like that, listeners, how it controls your brains. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on because this is a theme we are very, very interested in and I know our audience is very interested in. These, fam- these fatty foods excite the reward circuit in the brain, which in turn releases the neurochemical dopamine. So we're eating to get high. This release of dopamine provides one with a feeling of pleasure. Eventually, the continued overeating of these types of food desensitizes the feeling of pleasure that dopamine provides. And that's why we eat more and we just keep right on going. So 
why someone may not be able to eat only one chocolate chip cookie. We're going to talk about it. As I said a moment ago, it's far more than one cookie that we're talking about here. We're talking about the neurophysiology of food and brain dysfunction. Michael, thank you so much for coming on board. We really appreciate it. Tell us how you got into this whole subject in the first place, if you will. Well, um, it, it's probably a story uh, in a lifetime of making, which is probably, in my case, 35 of the last 40 years. Uh, unfortunately, during those uh, most of my life, I've always been someone who um, has gone from being in okay shape to being heavy to obese. Um, and just like I'm sure all your listeners who have had trouble like this, you're, you go through a constant yo-yo where you, you lose a little bit of weight and then you put it back on. And you just go through this process, and if anybody who's ever lost 20 or 30 pounds, and then only to put that weight back on over a period of time, they know how, you know how frustrating and just um, disheartening that is. And so I hit a, uh, uh, basically a breaking point or a turning point about eight months ago, where I got back a picture um, uh, from uh, some, some event, uh, actually a hockey event, where they took a... They took pictures of uh, the team and their parents and their family, and I looked at the picture, and I was just shocked and blown away. I uh, I was not the uh, the lean person I remember from many years ago. I was I was uh, I guess uh, heavy to obese. I was I was I was actually obese. <laughs> it's still Ouch. hard to say that. Ouch. Yeah. And so I looked at that picture, and a few more months went by. I went to go see my doctor, and he told me you're basically pre-diabetic, pre-high blood pressure, pre-this, pre-that, and all those words that he said, it still did nothing to me. And so I literally like just continued eating like I was, which was lots of sugar, lots of processed food and flour. I have good days and bad days, but the bottom line was the weight kept coming on. And even being basically threatened by my doctor saying, hey, you're going you're gonna to kill yourself, did nothing to me. And so the process continued until I hit sort of the proverbial breaking point. And I'll, let me, uh, I'll give you a couple quick stories that will lead into the rest of the, the talk. Okay. I, um, I was doing a little bit of self-reflecting. I looked in the mirror, didn't like what I saw. I also looked around. I do a lot of traveling. And every time I, I traveled, wherever it was, I always noticed that people who, let's say, were 75 or older, the people who were old, 75 or older, who uh, were all hunched over and looked like they looked really bad, tended to be really fat or overweight. <laughs> and anytime I saw someone who was thinner, they and who were older, they tend to be they tend to be old and older and thinner, but also many times I'd be on the beach walking and I would see people who looked like they were in their 90s and walking up and down the beach walking faster than I could and they were pencil thin. And then I'd look on the, the sand and I'd see these people who I don't know 70 or 80 years old and they couldn't even get off their chair. So that was another little factor. I said to myself, you know what? If I want to live a long life, I'm 53 now. I said, if I want to live, I'm not going to have any quality of life unless I take a lot of weight off. It's just, it's just, I can just look around me and see that. And I'm sure the science would back me up. Then the final sort of breaking point for me was <clears throat> my wife was part of uh, some health program through her company and they had some program where they gave you some coaching and for six months she said Michael I want you to do this you need to do it you're overweight and so forth and I said no I'm not going to do it finally after six months I said fine I'll 
I'll make the call and you know get into this program, even though my heart wasn't into it. So it was a video call. I make this uh, this call with this person, and it was kind of a strange thing because the person who was uh, taking my uh, setting up my appointment for me, who would uh, basically say, "Okay, these are the di different days you would talk to a professional." Uh, she happened to be a very very obese person, which was kind of a strange spokesperson for this health company. <laughs> And as I'm making my appointment saying, yeah, Thursdays at 7 p.m. will be fine for our conversations, uh, I was eating a piece of cheesecake, by the way, as I was doing this. <laughs> so what I'm a eating, picture. What I'm a picture. A piece of cheesecake. And as I start, all of a sudden, I start talking to this person, and all, both of us at the same moment started to cry. And, oh, my gosh. And so she probably was 300 pounds. I'm 270, 275. And we both started to cry because it just hit me how – sad she was because she was telling me all the things that she's tried and nothing works for her. Mm. And I was doing the same thing. And so at that particular moment, that's where the piece of cheesecake, which was about half eaten, I threw it in the garbage. Mm. And I said, something's got to give. This can't continue anymore. And so yeah. that was sort of the, the, sort of the, the, back, the background of how I even started to do this. And, and then after I did that, then I got into more of the science. But that was sort of the background, which led me to say, Enough is enough. Man, that is, that is a shocker. And it's too bad to, you know, really think of the bonding that would happen like that. And it reminds me, yeah. uh, of course, you weren't thinking the way that I'm about to tell you, but I had a guy that was quite wealthy and he had a severe alcohol problem. And I was working in the chemical dependency field at the time. And we sent him up to a treatment center outside of DC. We lived down in Virginia Beach, down at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay. So, you know, it's about a four hour drive up there. And and he told me later, he said he bought a fifth of whatever and got in the back, had a driver take him up there and just drank the whole way up there and could barely, barely get out of the car because he knew that this was going to be the last drink. And, and he mm -hmm. really had. Now, you weren't thinking that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you come to consciousness about a problem that you have and it's staring you in the face and then you're speaking to someone who themselves is in conflict about the, the, the situation that they're in, you know, it's, it's, it's life-changing. It could be, it could really uh, hurt. It could definitely hurt. No question about it. So, you, so then what did you do after that? Well, then I knew from how my brain was wired. And as my research shows me, you know, we're all wired in different ways, but in the same, in the same vein, we, there's a lot of similarities. And I realized that I always knew chemically that I could kind of feel that I would get sort of an addictive personality towards sugar, let's just say, for cookies or cake. And I knew that I could never just eat one. I just knew that's the way I was, and no matter what I did, it just wouldn't work. And so that's why I knew that you could have the greatest willpower in the world and go one or two weeks without eating, let's say, some bread, but then you would end up having 10 pieces of bread and you would, you would lose everything you worked for. Mm -hmm. so what I did is I did some research and I read, uh, I skimmed through lots of books and lots of articles online, and I came across an article on uh, Scientific American uh, that was called uh, How Sugar and Fat Tricked the Brain into Wanting More Food. And there were two parts to it, which I want to read. You alluded to one part on my introduction, which I'll reread again with a few extra items, but it really goes into how someone who's trying to lose weight has no chance in heck of being successful if they don't eliminate these foods. So the first part deals with uh, addiction. 
And so basically it says research has shown that the brain begins responding to fatty and sugary foods even before they enter our mouth. Merely seeing a desirable item excites the reward circuit. As soon as such a dish, dish touches the tongue, uh, taste buds send signals to various regions of the brain, which in turn responds by spewing the neurochemical dopamine. The result is an intense feeling of pleasure. Frequently overeating highly palatable foods saturates the brain with so much dopamine that it eventually adapts by desensitizing itself, reducing the number of cellular receptors that recognize and respond to the neurochemical. Consequently, the brain of overeaters demand a lot more sugar and fat to reach the same threshold of pleasure as they once experienced with smaller amounts of food. These people may, in fact, continue to overeat as a way of recapturing or even maintaining a sense of well-being. That goes right to the fact of you cannot eat one chip. It goes also to the fact when you go buy a bakery and you see a cake, or I like cannolis and cheesecakes, you're already losing because your brain's already envisioning the pleasure you're going to get from having that. And so, you know, as well as I do, anyone who, you know, goes and has a slice of cake, what happens is they're going to go back for a second piece, and if not immediately, they will, then that will trigger maybe uh, have a cookie now next, because you're constantly trying to recapture that sugar high that you got. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening in your brain. And the next part of this is getting into food addiction and cravings. And so I'll just read this one part, which I thought was important. Food addiction cravings can be similar to the effects a cocaine or heroin addict experiences. The main difference is that food is legal, socially acceptable, and highly marketed. The first crucial step towards breaking free from psychological food cravings is to stop eating addictive foods. Just as alcoholics must abstain from alcohol to maintain sobriety, those of us with food cravings must stop eating chemically addicting foods like sweeteners, flour, and processed food. This is the only effective way to end the craving cycle. And then the second part is, and equally important, this step is to maintain nutritional balance by replacing the addictive foods with wholesome, nourishing foods, eating nutrient-dense foods with balanced portions of protein, fats, carbohydrates, diminishes and eventually get rid of physical food cravings. And this is the final part that's really important. As we establish a healthy foods plan, healing begins and we can rebalance our brain chemistry. Only after, after we have put cravings behind us can we start to address the emotional issues that also drive food addiction. So the rebalancing of the brain is really what I've set out to do. You know, I call it the rebalancing or the rewiring of the brain. And without doing that, in my opinion, you really have no chance of being successful. And that's why people go on these yo-yo diets and, and inevitably fail because they never take the opportunity to fully rewire their brain or how they look at food. And so what I did over my whole life is I would eat really cleanly for 80% of the day, but then I'd have a slice of cake and say, oh, I earned it. And as mm -hmm. soon as you have that yeah. slice of cake or that cookie, you're mm -hmm. basically an alcoholic again and you've restarted the cycle. On a biological level, I think it's a very important point that you're raising because a lot, most of people think, and it's the same way with addiction. Uh, we worked in addiction medicine for years. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, uh, alcohol, beer, um, vodka, or food. Yeah. There's a biologic change that takes place, and that biology then uh, creates a pattern that then creates the whole cycle of what they call over in the addiction side, jonesing. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the ordinary street person may not know what jonesing is, 
But jonesing is kind of what you were describing uh, a moment ago. And in fact, I was going to jokingly correct you because mm-hmm. you said you liked these different things when you buy, went by the, and I was going to say, you used to like them. That's right. Because you got to get your mind switched in order to really be safe. You, you know, that was a great thing, but now it's toxic. You know, it's toxic. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to be jonesing. And if you're jonesing, you're in a relapse trigger. You're, mm-hmm. you're grooving mentally, neurophysiologically down a biologic path before the uh, food, the substance ever touches your lips. Exactly. It, it is, it is um, the relapsing is what, or jonesing is exactly what I think the typical person who goes through this yo-yo process and so what I set to do initially was to create something for myself, which I did very effectively to get through sort of all the different stages easily in terms of, uh, you know, withdrawal type symptoms. I, I, I created a plan to get through that, which I can get into. And then what I did at a later date, not till three or four months into the program, did I ever even consider making this available to the public because it was something that I wanted to test very uh, very much to make sure I knew what I was doing. So I've had some very interesting uh, stories along the way, which I'd be more than happy to share with you in terms of uh, some people I've spoken to and, 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 and some of the, uh, the problems they have. Yeah, let's jump on that. Let's go ahead to the stories and, yeah. and hit a little bit because that's one of the things that I think is so useful about a podcast, about discussing these things, is because it's people talking to people. And it's like these are things that real people have – you know, you can get into the theory. We can talk about neurophysiology and all that sort of thing. But the real issue is where does the rubber meet the road for the human beings out there who are struggling with recovery on any level? It doesn't matter whether they're recovering from depression, food. Recovery is a pattern, and there's some pain and discomfort. And then the question is from the narrative is how do we overcome that? So please, if you have some stories, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, I'll get into a couple of points. It's interesting uh, in terms of sort of the, the pain and the recovery, I've gone through this so many times in my life where I've tried to stop eating candy bars or ice cream or whatever it was, and I always failed. And what I discovered through the research that I did and then also just from trial and error that besides not putting that into my system anymore, I needed to have what I call positive uh, fuel or positive ammunition in terms of food that I could have to help me get through this. And so what I did is I armed myself with all fruits and vegetables, lean proteins that you, you know, anything from lean chicken to fish to uh, eggs to tofu. And what I did is I created a, a system where I would only put that food into my system every single day. And I would never get into a state of hunger. I would never de- deprive myself of eating and saying, well, I, I can't eat that much. I would eat as much as my brain told me to eat every single day whatever it felt it needed to feel full. And I never put any limitation on it. I never, this program, I never wanted to call it a diet program. I call it more of a way of life program to live healthily. My goal was, and still is, I want to try to squeeze every year I can out of this life. And so at the same time, I also want to be very productive. You know, to me, it would be very depressing to live until 95 years old where the last 25 years, I'm basically wheelchair bound and could not do anything. Or if I want to go sightseeing, I'm always stuck on the tour bus and can't go anywhere. I want to participate, so I want to be as healthy as I can. And that's where at a later time I'll talk about exercise. But before that, 
So as I went around thinking about this, I was still very much in the stages of this is just for myself. This is just for myself. And so in uh, June of this year, uh, three or four months into the program, three months or so into the program, I was down maybe 30 pounds at the time. And right now, today, I'm down 75 as we speak. I was down about 30 pounds, and uh, I had a, a long, a long planned uh, cruise for my, my family and my uh, twin children who are graduating from high school. And I have been on 20, 25 cruises in my lifetime, so I know how they work, and I know that they usually mean 7 to 10 pounds of weight gain. That's the way it is. So I knew this was going to be a real great test for me. So I went on this cruise, and by the way, without going into all the details, I did tremendously. I worked out every day. I eat well. I, I think I put on one pound for the, the week. It was, it was fantastic. Good for you. But Thank you. But the, the story, this is what got me starting to think about making this as a public program, was this was story number one. Uh, third day or so into the cruise, I go into the, the pool, the public pool, and there's a uh, and I go in there and I'm running in place and exercising in the pool, moving my arm, doing anything I can to get a workout in. At, in the pool. And while I'm in there, there was this uh, incredibly uh, obese man who had to be 400 pounds, and he's drinking, and he sees me exercising. And with a sarcastic tone, he kind of like says, you know, what are you doing? You exercising? Why aren't you drinking? <laughs> you <know>? And like, <laughs> he's, he's very proud of himself. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, thinking to myself, my first thought was, you know, buddy, you're gonna die if you don't do yeah. something. You're yeah. so, you might so die before the cruise is over. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, but I, I don't say anything. Next thing I know, we get into about a 30 to 45-minute conversation, and I find out from him that he is, and uh, has seen his doctor, he is on the verge of dying. He has every illness you could imagine that's weight-related. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's an ill person, and what I also find out as he starts to cry to me about 20 minutes into this is that he's very sad. He yeah. knows he can't break the cycle. He has no recourse. He has no recourse, and he goes from being sort of sarcastic and cocky to being very humble and sad, all in a matter of 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so we continue talking. I tell him what I'm doing at the time. He shakes my hand, says, thank you so much. And then later on in the week, he sees me, gives me a hug and says, thank you. Uh, you changed my life. So that was story number one where I say, you know what? I think I'm onto something. There are people out there who are really suffering. So... That was story number one. Then story number two, uh, about two months later, I'm at a, a pool in, of all places, uh, in up, up, uh, um, up north in Maine as I'm on my way to drop one of my kids off to uh, his college. What part of Maine you in? Uh, we were up in uh, Booth Bay Harbor on my yeah. way up to um, Colby up in Waterville, Maine to drop I one know, off. Yeah, I know where you are. My, my daughter lives in, and her husband live in Camden. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I grew up in Massachusetts, so I used to go up, up to Maine all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, I'm out there at the pool, and uh, it's, I don't know, 2, 3 in the afternoon, and I'm having uh, a half a watermelon. That's my snack for the day. I'm eating a half a watermelon with a spoon, which I guess you don't see a lot of people doing. So I'm having my water, excuse me, not my watermelon, my cantaloupe. I'm sorry, cantaloupe. I'm having my cantaloupe, mm -hmm. half a cantaloupe. And these two women come in from kayaking, and they're both uh, probably 30 to 50 pounds uh, overweight. And they, they strike up a conversation saying, you know, what, what the heck are you doing? What's up with the cantaloupe? And so that was the icebreaker. And next thing we know, 30 to 45 minutes later, uh, they're crying and telling me how they're addicted to food and how they can't break this habit or that habit. And they've tried every single diet in the world. And then the thing that stuck with me is one woman said, well, I'm a bread person. And the other person says, well, I'm a pizza person. 
And I got to thinking saying, you've allowed yourself to become a bread person or a pizza person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how you're defining yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, I, I kept that to myself, but then they both pulled me aside and they said, what you're talking about, Michael, you really need to share with the public. And when they said that, I said, well, are you sure? They said, yeah, trust us. There are so many people like us who are struggling. And so after that conversation in August or so of this year, August of 2017, uh, that's where I said, you know what? I need to put this down and make this more formal and share it with the public. So that's sort of how this whole thing started. And that's the background. Well, you know, Michael, I think the thing, uh, you know, and we're going to take a break in just a minute because I got another couple of questions for you. But I, I, before we even get to that break, I want to mention this. I think one of the things you're bringing to the table, because we've worked in addiction medicine for years, and, uh, you know, the issue with, with the, uh, like even Alcoholics Anonymous, basically people argue all the time about, well, maybe I can just drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. And they don't really know the, the consequences of continuing to keep that pipeline open. And they don't want to really think reductionistically. They don't want to think categorically and say, look, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. They want to be, because there's a social pressure to have dessert, metaphorically, mm-hmm. to, you know, hey, we're at a party. Let's have a couple drinks. And what happens is the internal softening of the person in a group experience is part of the problem. Now, some people have it individually. You know, I don't care. I'm just going to go home and drink a bottle of wine. I'm by myself, whatever. Uh, or I'm going to eat a half of a pecan pie myself, whatever. But the bottom line is there are two elements there. And that is a big one is social. And the other one, which you said very emphatically and quite correctly is a person's view of themselves, mm-hmm. what they're thinking of themselves and what they really want to do with themselves with a lifetime concept rather than a today, this is what I'm going to do concept. You're absolutely right. The, the people don't understand that because I don't feel they, they understand truly the wiring of their brain and, and the, how the chemical reaction is going on inside their brain, they constantly keep sabotaging themselves. And then they, they're, I kind of look at it this way. I, I just feel like people are walking around in a fog and you know, I've done some research on food manufacturers, and they know what they're doing. They're, they're billion-dollar organizations for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 you know, I, I tell people, uh, whoever will listen to me, I say, when you go to a supermarket, stay to the outside edges. I said, anything in the middle 95% is poison. Don't go in there. You're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are amazing. So what do you mean? They said, well, inside there's this low-fat this or a gluten-free this. I said, it's not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And people, people don't understand that. Well, I think the thing that comes up here is the concept of denial. And denial is really, what does denial mean? Denial is denial of reality. You know, one of the things we do here at Core Brain Journal is we talk about reality. And one of the themes we hit all the time is data, data recognition as it relates to brain function and reality. And if you're in denial, you're not dealing with reality. And if you're over the denial, you're dealing with reality as it actually is and facing it squarely as a pattern of facing it, as opposed to I'll face it for 10 minutes, but I'm not going to face it for the next 15. Yeah. So let me get back and ask you a question in just a second. I'm going to take a break now, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. One is, I'm really looking forward to you telling us in this next question, 
is what you really do to replace the foods with. Let's really take a quick look at that. And I'm going to tell you, ask another question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to prepare you for this. You may or may not be familiar with it. Okay. And that is the whole concept of things like um, the medium chain triglyceride, the, the crepilic acid, like um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, um, it's went out of my head right now. The, uh, how come I'm blocking on that right now? The bulletproof diet is the word I'm looking for. You know, the whole thing of using uh, coconut oil, derivatives of coconut oil to actually diminish your appetite. So you may or may not know something about that, but I'd like to hear your feedback on that. Okay. So folks, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back and find out about the foods and we're going to see what Michael says about that whole thing with crepilic acid and all that, because it's been said that it's a appetite suppressant. So yeah. we'll be back in just a moment. Well, folks, you know, as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrol challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's dhalab.com forward slash core. Well, here we are back again, folks. And Michael, thank you so much for taking the time for coming on board. It's great to get somebody who's really in the street dealing with life as it actually is. This is and I think your Scientific American article sounds very interesting. I'm looking forward to finding that and putting it in the show notes so people can actually see the data. We're really data-driven. So okay. back to it, Michael. What, what do you do because people are looking for answers? One of the things you were saying to both the individual on the cruise and the two women up there in Maine, they're looking for answers. What in the heck can I actually do other than just kind of modify calories and this and that and the other thing? What yeah. can I replace my 
my cravings with what could what could work for me that's going to be satisfying and fun that I could just say, look, this is the new me. This is who I am. Well, it, it's it's as easy as the following, and for people who are just starting out, they might find it difficult, but it actually is very easy. Step number one, you need to decide, uh, as you were saying, are you in denial or not? Is this something you want to do or not? And when you want to do it, you have to realize, just as I had read earlier about the, the Scientific American article, you can't just have one. I wish we could, but your brain's not going to let you. And so, you know, my wife, she's in good shape, and she can have one. <laughs> I can't. She'll have she'll have a bite of ice cream, but then she'll have a bowl of peas, or she'll have one cookie. Where I'll have the whole box. It doesn't work for me. And I, I, my hunch is from talking to enough people who have had a weight problem, that's how their brain works. Their brain is they don't have control of their impulses, and it's because they keep they can't just have one. So from that aspect, I guess everybody's brain is wired a little bit differently. It is. So, yeah. I mean, the dopamine rush is a big deal. Some people. Yeah have a certain uh, neurophysiologic balance, a neurotransmitter balance, and if they want to get a fix, they want to get that whole pleasure mechanism cooking, yeah. they're going to pack it in and they're going to pack it in for more because they just, there is a sense of relief that comes. We've seen that even with milk. This is a whole different subject yeah. because, you know, but milk itself has an addictive quality and can actually tick, tickle opiate receptors. Now, we're not talking about milk right now, but I mean, that's yeah. part of what's going on is those neurotransmitters get tickled and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun. I need some more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so what I knew I had to do was find a way to flush that stuff from my, my system. But at the same time, the thing I absolutely had to make sure was that I did not diet. So people would say to me, what type of diet are you on? What type of foods you're eating? What, how are you doing it? You have such a restrictive diet. And my answer always has been, I don't have a restrictive diet. I'm not on a diet. I have a new way of life. And my way of life is that I eat actually right now more than I've ever eaten in my life. I eat so much now, it's crazy. But I only eat foods that are good and provide positive fuel for my body. That's it. So like I might have four or five apples in a day. When watermelon was in season, heck, I ate pounds of it sometimes because I, I like it. And I never ever go into a day saying, oh, I'm going to eat this much or this little. I let my brain tell me what it needs and what my body needs to basically perform well. Right now, because I'm, in, I'm literally in the best shape I think I've ever been in my life, I walk right now six to seven miles a day. When I started this, I couldn't even walk to my mailbox. I was so out of shape. And so right now, I let my body dictate what I need. So as the answer to your question, in terms of replacement, first thing I did was go out and I bought pounds, and I mean pounds of fruit, you know, plums, pears, nectarines, watermelon, whatever you like, uh, in terms of vegetables, uh, tomatoes, uh, lots of lettuce because I have lots of salads. So different types of lettuce, uh, scallions, mushrooms, uh, lots of peppers, uh, red, red bell peppers are really good for you, spinach. I bought all these things. Now, I didn't go out and buy, buy kale, even though I know kale is really good for me because I can't stand kale. So <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't want to go and start something and say, well, I've got to eat kale because that's good for me. No, I was going to buy foods that I like to begin with. Some foods I might like more than other, but I was only going to buy foods that I liked. And my feeling has always been that if you're eating fruits and vegetables, 
you really can't go wrong. Some are better for you than others, but the fact is, you know, if I had four apples in a day and someone says, well, you know, you need to have more leafy vegetables. Okay, you're right, but it's not the end of the world. I'm happy I'm having four apples instead of a pint of ice cream. So what I've done is I replaced, you know, that sugar high with, let's say, the, the high of the natural recurring sugars in a grape or an apple, and I don't bog down at this time saying, oh my goodness, you know, I, I need, which vegetable is better for me than the other? I don't bog down on that. Now I know certain things aren't that good, don't agree with me as well, so I stay clear of them. I know almonds are good for me, but I don't eat too many almonds because I know they're very fatty. But I still eat them every once in a while because I know that's good for a well-balanced diet or well-balanced mm -hmm. nutrition. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, this is not about, this is, in my opinion, this is not about sacrificing. This is all about rewarding your body with what's good for you. And I, I got to tell you just one story about reward. And, uh, and I, because I, it's, to me, it, it, it puts everything I'm doing into a, a sort of a nice bow. Um, when you think about celebrations, and you touched upon it before about how you might have a drink or there's some type of celebration, everything we do in society regarding celebration for you know, let's uh, personal or professionally, you graduated from college or you, you were first in your class or you, you, you got a job promotion or whatever it is, your birthday, we all celebrate usually with a cake and we celebrate a lot of times with alcohol. <laughs> Two things that are not good for you. Yeah. And so uh, I'll give you a quick story, which is, which is my favorite story from this whole process. Back in July was my, my birthday and uh, as always, we went over to my in-laws uh, retirement home, my wife and I, and they always uh, have a nice dinner, and then, of course, the ceremonial cake would come out with the waiters coming over and singing happy birthday. And so on the ride over, I told my wife, I said, I hope you didn't tell your parents to get me a cake. I don't want a cake. I don't want the temptation. I don't like that stuff anymore. Don't do it. We finish dinner. I look out the corner of my eye, and I see the waiters gathering with the uh, candles and so forth, and we're getting ready to come over. And I kicked my wife under the table. I said, I told you I don't want a cake. So long story short, they come over and I'm like, okay, this is really nice. And they start singing. I look down and they actually sliced half a watermelon and put candles in it for me. <laughs> what and, fun. What fun. And that to me. Hey, your in-laws have a sense of humor. They had a sense of humor, but also that's why it's important. I talk about this to people is that it's important to have people who will support you emotionally yeah. as you go through yeah. this yeah. and how important it was. And they turned it into kind of a joke. And I still think that's one of the, the funniest things because, uh, it just really, it, it hit home to me saying, why do I need to celebrate by sabotaging my body? And so to me, when I celebrate, like I want to go out and find that $2 or $3 apple. That's like the best apple out there in the country. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. celebrate with that apple. Or I like, I like the other uh, company, Harry and David. They have a lot of really good fresh fruit. Mm -hmm. and so I'd rather mail order some of their fruit as my reward instead of saying, okay, I'm going to go have, you know, uh, two candy bars right now. Well, and that's one of the fun things about being up in Maine because, well, it's true in Virginia too. You know, get out in western part of the state of Virginia or even in, up in Maine, they have so many varieties of really remarkable apples. I mean, if you're talking about fruit yep. and, mm -hmm. and, and the berries and the blueberries and the whole thing, I mean, if you get out and actually experience that and, and then, you know, the whole thing about organic carrots as opposed to non-organic carrots. I mean, if you get organic, the whole taste thing changes dramatically and it makes you feel like a carrot is a piece of dessert. I mean, you know, if you, 
you know, and, and I'm not, you know, somebody may think I'm being weird about this. I personally don't think I'm being weird. I think it's, it's so true that a carrot can be a heck of a lot of fun because they taste so doggone good. And I, when you actually contrast, compare organic from non-organic carrots, you can really see it in a carrot in the same way with a lot of other vegetables as well. So it's just a question yeah. of having the team on your side. Big point. Excellent point. Having the team and also just changing your mindset in terms of how you look at things. And, yeah. you know, I, I, people, you know, I'll just give this last story, which I just think is, uh, this is also another reward. Last night, I found in my closet five suits that I bought when I got married almost 24 years ago. Those suits were worn twice a piece for about two to three weeks before I put on a ton of weight. I put them on last night for the first time in almost 24 years, and they were actually loose on me. Oh, fantastic. I, I picked up like a two, $3,000 wardrobe last night just from <laughs> doing that. So, you get to run them down and take them in, yeah? Yeah, I, I do. But it, it's really it, – so there's – you know, besides, besides feeling better, it's, it's a nice thing to actually look in the mirror and say, hey, you know what, you, I, I look better, which, which for a long period of time, I, I didn't look in the mirror because uh, you, you, feel, you feel ashamed. And that's why I think it's such a deeply personal subject for people who are struggling, because there is a lot of shame involved in it. Well, I think the concept there on a, on a if you forgive the expression, quote unquote, mental level. Mm-hmm is that you're treating yourself and your reward is going to be uh, somehow this food, this gratification, this dessert. And really what you're doing is you're re rewarding yourself with your life. You're re rewarding with yourself with health. And you're saying, look, you've worked hard at this. You deserve this. Now you're going to get a good dose of health and longevity for yourself because you know darn well when you look out, and we see this all the time, people who are similar age category who are not taking care of themselves, it's disheartening. We see it in the office all the time. You know, you walk in the door, you know what's going on metabolically by just casually looking at them. And then mm -hmm. that's and then they have psychological problems. They're here seeing the psychiatrist. They're chasing the psych mm -hmm. medication path, hoping that somehow that's going to take care of business when they really need to become more actively involved in taking care of themselves. And that's our whole theme here at Core Brain Journals. We want to train people to think about becoming responsible. That's why on the front page of Core Brain Journal, we have a number of books that we like, and one of them is Extreme Ownership. You might like that book. Mm -hmm. Extreme Ownership is how do you actually, this is by uh, Jocko Wilnick, a SEAL trainer, and he's like, you know, if you take extreme ownership, then you're going to be a good leader. You're going to take care of yourself responsibly. Now, let me ask you this other question because we're getting winding down here. Do you know, have you heard anything about the Bulletproof Coffee? I don't know what slipped my mind back there, but the Bulletproof Coffee, you know, Dave Asprey. And he's got a thing called, uh, it's uh, a, a specific type of brain food. It's caprylic acid, which is a subset of one of the uh, coconut oil um, medium chain triglycerides, uh, MCT oils. Do you, have you heard anything about that? I have not. You would, you would be interested in it because it's another thing a person can do. Mm -hmm. Because if they, and I'm not hooked up with him, I'm not affiliated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the issue is, I probably should be, but the bottom line is, I think people need some answers for something that they can take that does help that uh, physiologic craving situation mm -hmm. in some constructive way, in some healthy way. 
Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, there's some neurotransmitter precursors that can help with that. Mm-hmm. But certainly the things that we're talking about from a natural point of view, the foods you're talking about help solve the problem. Yeah. Because and they're, and they're helping it neurophysiologically. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on board. Tell our crew out here, wherever they happen to be, how they can get in touch with you, what your website is, and th- tell us a little bit about that um, uh, sign up for the You yeah. Will Succeed program. Tell us a little bit about that and tell us where we can reach you. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, this is a fairly new company. The, uh, the name of the company is Positive Daily Fuel. So the website is www.positivedailyfuel.com. And the name of the program is uh, You Will Succeed. Uh, it's a 22-week video program on basically getting your life back from uh, physical fitness to energy to health to losing weight. And um, until from now until the end of January, um, I do have a, a promotion. If they, uh, when they're ordering, if they type in uh, the name of your company, Core Brain, uh, they will receive $100 off the, uh, the price of the, of the, of the program. And, um, and then all the contact information is on the website if they want to reach out to me and have any questions. Well, that's very kind of you to do that for our listeners. I'm sure that some will be interested in that because this is inspirational. You know what it is? It's the thing that I think in, in summary is you're looking at the whole thing, as you said, on your website from a more positive point of view. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting your micrometer out and measuring, uh, you know, the width of the cake uh, or whatever it happens to be, you're getting a scale out and, and messing around with all that, which makes eating so completely unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and eat the right things. That's and and uh, I'm sure they'll find out more when they get to the website about specific recommendations in that regard. And uh, do you, one thing I'd like to ask you to do is if it would save me some time if you send me that uh, Scientific American uh, reference, and we'll put that up on the uh, show notes as well. Absolutely. We'll do it. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on board, Michael. And, uh, you know, something else comes up down the road that you think, hey, folks, you need to know this. This is something else I learned along the way. Come in and share it with us. We'd be more than happy to have you back. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.